All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for sticking through last week's episode as we get back on track here with our schedule and routine for the podcast. Last week was a long catch-up episode, so if you took anything away from that one and that the Dodgers and the Lakers won their respective championships while the NFL and college football kept moving along through the challenges of the coronavirus, then you mostly got the gist of last week's episode. (laughs) Oh, and of course, that Badger football return, so that as well. If you got all that from last week's over an hour-long episode, uh, then then you pretty much got the gist of last week's episode. This week, though, we'll be able to dive in a little bit deeper instead of kind of an overarching episode last week of just mentioning that the Dodgers and the Lakers won. This week, we'll kind of dive into each topic as we are now kind of up-to-date with it. And we'll start today with the beginning of the 2021 NBA season. I mean, we had the draft, the NBA draft, just earlier this week. Free agency period is currently underway, just got started today on Friday here. So what we're going to do right now, let's get caught up with some of the bigger deals and trades that have been made. And also we'll do a quick recap on the NBA draft and we'll we'll mention some of the bigger names and, and where they're heading for this upcoming NBA season. All right, so the first deal that we'll get started with and probably one of the bigger ones, the Milwaukee Bucks acquiring Drew Holiday from the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, and three first-round picks. Two pick swaps. We won't dive into the, the picks and, and how all that works for New Orleans. The bigger deal here is the Milwaukee Bucks get Drew Holiday, and they're trading away Eric Bledsoe. They have a new starting point guard. The Bucks also tried to acquire Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Kings, but he's a restricted free agent, and this was a deal that was reported before Deals could officially be made, and it kind of fell apart. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent, so he decided he he had the choice of whether or not he wanted to re-sign with the Kings and then be traded to the Bucks. That's what this sign-and-trade deal would have been. But it fell apart due to some possible tampering rules with the Bucks. We'll get to that in a second. So the Bucks, instead of having both Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich, they end up with just Drew Holiday here. So we'll dive into this one first. The first question that everybody's going to ask about it is, what does this mean for the Bucks in terms of re-signing Giannis Antetokounmpo? Of course, this is his last year on his contract with Milwaukee. He is eligible to sign a Supermax deal with Milwaukee Bucks. This is the deal that he can only get with Milwaukee. It's a five-year deal, upwards of $225 million for Giannis here. He can only get this deal with the Bucks. Any other team that would want to sign him, that would be next year that they could do it, and they could only offer him, I say only here, but four years, and I think in the range of $170 million. So this is an extra year security and $50 million difference that Giannis and uh, that the Bucks can offer Giannis here. And so the question becomes, Milwaukee, Giannis, of course, wants to win a championship, and Milwaukee is trying to prove that, hey, we're doing everything we can off the court to get players around you that can help you win a championship. And what they're getting in Drew Holiday, this guy is... We've heard from multiple players and from analysts that this is possibly the best wing defender in the NBA. This guy is an all-NBA defensive player two years prior to this year. He just missed out this year. He's been on the first-team all-NBA defense. He's right on the cusp of being an all-star as well. Averages about 20 points per game. Averaged 20 points per game last year, actually, with the New Orleans Pelicans, and that's with Brandon Ingram on this team that he just became an all-star. That's with Zion Williamson on this team, the franchise cornerstone of the Pelicans, and he's still able to average 20 points per game. 
Drew Holiday is a huge pickup for the Milwaukee Bucks. Did they give away too much here? Like I said, they gave away Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, three first-round picks in, in two pick swaps where the Pelicans can decide if they want to the switch first-round picks in a couple of years as well. So if the Bucks have a better draft position than the Pelicans, somehow they can swap picks there. Reportedly, this is kind of a similar deal to what the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis in terms of picks. I think it's a little bit different in the way that the Lakers gave up really young assets in terms of Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart. In this case, the Bucks are giving up players that they know what they're getting. Eric Bledsoe struggling in the playoffs. He is a great defender, Eric Bledsoe, but they're getting an even better defender in Drew Holiday. George Hill, last year's three-point field goal percentage leader, um, they're giving him up as well. But then the thing with, with draft picks in the NBA, draft picks are not the same in terms of NFL draft picks, where those are coveted, those are guys that can become instant. Uh, I mean, you know who the NFL draft picks are. You could probably name one through 10 from this year or last year. You could probably do it for, for years prior as well. Whereas in NBA draft picks, some of these guys don't make it up from the developmental league and the G League from, from the NBA. I mean, can you name the, the 15th pick in this year's NBA draft? Can you name the 10th pick in this year's NBA draft. I know I can't, and I just watched most of it the other night. When it comes to NBA draft picks, they are much more unknowns. I mean, draft picks are always unknowns, but when you can get a quality, a really great player, actually, in Drew Holiday like this, I don't think giving away draft picks is that big of a deal. Now, if they're top five picks, that's different, but I don't think the Bucks, if they can, what they're doing by giving away these first-round draft picks and acquiring Drew Holiday and having Chris Middleton on the team, they're expecting Giannis to re-sign with Milwaukee, and then they won't be picking in the top five. They'll be giving up maybe, what is it, maybe 25th overall draft picks, maybe top 20 overall draft picks if they somehow stumble there, or maybe late first-round draft picks. That's the expectation when they're giving up these first-round draft picks. It's not going to be draft picks in the top 10 or anything like that. That's why I have no problem giving up first-round draft picks when you're a team that's going to be trying to win a championship. Draft picks aren't really going to win you championships in that terms, and they're not going to win you them. like this. Their, their 2022 first-round draft pick is not going to help them win a championship next year. So that's my kind of take on, on whether or not trading draft picks or hoarding them, whether or not that's a good idea or giving them away and whether that hurts a team or not. But that's my thinking. I say go for the known commodity and Drew Holiday, an all-NBA defensive player, a 15 to 20 points per game scorer. Now you've got Giannis. If he re-signs, he'll st- he's still under contract with the Bucks for this year, but he can sign his extension now. Chris Middleton, an all-star, and now Drew Holiday. That's a better three-core than it was with Giannis, Middleton, and Bledsoe. They definitely upgraded here with Drew Holiday. Now the other deal that I mentioned... Bogdan Bogdanovich, this is a guy that is one of the better three-point shooters in the NBA. This is a catch-and-shoot guy. This is a player that I could think of. He could fit with every team. This guy doesn't. He he kind of reminds me of Klay Thompson a little bit in terms of he's not going to bring the ball up. He's not necessarily a big-time facilitator, but he can catch and shoot like nobody's business. Klay Thompson is the best in the business at that, in my opinion. But Bogdan Bogdanovich kind of reminds me of that of Klay Thompson, just to a lesser degree, where this guy can fit anywhere on any squad and just you, you set a couple screens for him. 
He's kind of like a, a younger version. It's Kyle Korver, but this guy's more athletic, a better playmaker, a bigger body. You know what I mean? That's that's what kind of Bogdan Bogdanovich is. And Milwaukee had what seemed to be a deal in place to acquire him, but the problem is Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent. So there's unrestricted free agents where they're free to sign anywhere. Restricted free agents, you can sign with another team, but then your old team has the option to match that, and then you go back to your old team. So that's what kind of free agent he was. So if the Bucks wanted to sign him, what they would do is they would have the Pel- or they would have the Kings re-sign him. They would trade for him then with the Kings, and that's kind of what the Bucks had in place. The problem is that can't be done until November 20th, which is today. But this deal was reported two days earlier on November 18th, and that kind of was a big no-no. And of course, now all the like. The problem is there's these things called tampering rules, and they're kind of a joke because players talk to other players about, hey, come play here. That's technically tampering, but that they're not going to be able to enforce that. Players talk to other teams sometimes. I mean, you see when, like today, when free agency opened, players already had deals in place to go play for these other teams. Like they're reported the instant that the free agency legal tampering period or the legal time to sign free agents was open. They immediately had deals signed and they're off to that team. Obviously, it doesn't take five minutes to negotiate, so these are done prior to. But of course, now with the Bucks, everybody is hoping that Giannis doesn't re-sign with Milwaukee. So when a tampering issue comes up, and this was a clear one, this was 48 hours prior. This is a restricted free agent that's a little different, like I mentioned, than the unrestricted free agents. Someone whistleblows on the on the Bucks, and it's not necessarily whistleblowing, but they bring it up to the league like, hey, are you guys going to do something about this? So it comes to the attention of the league, and now it seems like this deal has kind of fallen through. And it's been talked about that Bogdanovich has been talking to Giannis, which is fine, but then when he's talking to the front office and the front office kind of leaks that this deal is in place, this is what our plan is, it kind of falls apart, and it doesn't look like the Bucks will be getting... Bogdan Bogdanovich on this team they still can they can send they can offer him a contract and the Kings could not match it but that's unlikely this is a pretty good player shoots about 38 percent from three so I mean this is a guy that the Kings will resign and get something back for him if they are going to let him go in the Bucks doesn't look like he'll be able to they'll be able to make that trade anymore and we'll see if this tampering allegation comes to anything and, and that's another reason why this might uh dissuade Bogdanovich from coming to Milwaukee. So that's kind of a big blow for the Bucks right there. That This is a player that I think would have really, really helped their offense. I mean, a starting five of Drew Holiday, Bogdanovich, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and then they still have Brooke Lopez as their 3 and D center. Not many teams have that. That would have been a pretty lethal starting five in the East. And the East is going to get much stronger this year with the Brooklyn Nets now going to be a team contending for a title. They have Kevin Durant. And Kyrie Irving, the Philadelphia 76ers are kind of revamping their team. They have Doc Rivers as their new head coach now, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. They're also making other deals as well, trading away Josh Richardson, adding Danny Green, and we'll talk about those in a little bit here as well. So what other moves can the Bucks still go out and make? There's a couple guys that they could target. There's Joe Harris from the Brooklyn Nets, who led the league in three-point shooting in 2018-2019 at 47%. He could be an option for Milwaukee in terms of three-point shooting. Another guy as well 
is Langston Galloway, a former player from the Detroit Pistons. Bogdanovich was really one of those guys that they were hoping that would kind of seal the deal with Giannis in terms of getting him to re-sign, but that looks unlikely. Now, Joe Harris, though, and is one of those guys that's in the similar, kind of similar class as Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich more of a playmaker than, than, than Joe Harris there. Davis Bertans, another guy from the Washington Wizards. Milwaukee is looking for three-point shooters that they can surround Giannis with. Bogdanovich would have been perfect in that sense because he's also a playmaker that can do more than just shoot the three. But if the Bucks aren't able to get him, these are some other guys that they can possibly go out and make deals to get onto their roster. The big chip for them to fall, though, is will Giannis re-sign with them for that Supermax deal five years, upwards of $225 million, Or will he wait out this year on his contract? And then that really puts the Milwaukee Bucks kind of in a tough situation. So... We'll see how that goes there for Milwaukee. Another big trade that happened earlier this week, the Phoenix Suns trade for Chris Paul from the Thunder, sending Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, and a 2022 first-round pick back to the Thunder. The Thunder then traded Kelly Oubre to the Warriors. Ricky Rubio then they traded back to the Timberwolves. We'll get to those in just a second. But Chris Paul traded from the Thunder to the Phoenix Suns, this now becomes the question for the Phoenix Suns team. With CP3 there, does this firmly plant the Suns into the Western Conference playoffs now alongside Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton? If you remember, just a couple months ago, the Suns won eight straight games in the bubble, 8-0, and just barely missed the play-in game to make the, to play, to make the playoffs. If you remember this, this was one of the best stories of the NBA bubble before we got to the playoffs and such like that. The Suns kind of turning it on. Devin Booker averaging over 35 points a game in the bubble. CP3, remember, he kind of was traded to a rebuilding Oklahoma City Thunder team last year and somehow got them, not somehow, but he got them into the playoffs as the sixth seed. Kind of an under an overachieving team, which was a fantastic story. Got them two wins in the playoffs as well against the Houston Rockets. Now he says the the Thunder are going into a full rebuild mode. They have acquired so many draft picks. We'll talk about that in a second as well. But CP3 wanted to go to Phoenix, wanted to be with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. This is a team now that I think is going to be in the playoffs. I mean, I didn't think that the Oklahoma City Thunder with CP3 last year would make the playoffs, and here they were as the sixth seed. Now you add a team that had a fantastic finish to the 2020 season. They add a huge piece in Chris Paul. Devin Booker is just on the verge of being an all-star. And DeAndre Ayton, their center, who they drafted, I believe, two years ago at number one overall, is improving as well. And CP3 is the best friend that DeAndre Ayton is going to have. I think he's also going to be the best friend that Devin Booker is going to have because he's going to be able to lead this team with his maturity and his leadership. And then he's also with his playmaking, just the way that he still averages close to 20 points per game over seven assists per game in the way that he plays defense as well. I think, I mean, you've got the Lakers, you've got the Clippers, you've got the Nuggets, you've got the Rockets possibly. We'll talk about them in a second. You've got the Mavericks, you've got the Trailblazers. That's seven teams that I named right there. Possibly one could fall out. I think that the that the Suns are a clear choice to make the playoffs this year around that five to six seed. Oh, and the Warriors as well, and we'll talk about them coming up in a second as well but I think with CP3 there that if they don't make the playoffs that would be a huge disappointment but I think 
with Chris Paul now on the Phoenix Suns. This is a team that could be dangerous if they make the playoffs as well. Chris Paul has plenty of playoff experience. He's been to the Western Conference Finals, never been to the NBA Finals, but he's won plenty of playoff series that I think the Phoenix Suns could be a little bit dangerous when they make it into the playoffs. And I think this is going to be a really fun team to watch because Chris Paul, everybody thought he was starting to get washed up. This guy is still an all-star, and he just led a, a, a much less talented team to the playoffs in the Oklahoma City Thunder than what he's going to be going to in the Phoenix Suns. So that's another big trade that just went down as well. So that'll be fun to watch come this 2021 season. Here's a trade that happened. The Houston Rockets traded Robert Covington to the Portland Trailblazers for Trevor Ariza and two first-round picks. Trevor Ariza coming back to the Houston Rockets. This trade kind of just lets me get to the bigger rumors surrounding the Houston Rockets, which first and foremost we'll talk about here is James Harden, their all-star, their superstar player, wants out of Houston and says, get me to Brooklyn, send me to the Brooklyn Nets to play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He actually even turned down a two-year, $103.5 million deal to stick with the Rockets. The Rockets fired their head coach, Mike D'Antoni. He was getting them to the playoffs. They've been doing second-round exits. They couldn't get past the Warriors. They had a chance to beat Kevin Durant in the Warriors and Steph Curry in the Warriors. They couldn't do that. Now they've been getting second-round exits. They've done everything for James Harden from bringing in Chris Paul. That didn't work out. From bringing in Russell Westbrook this past year, that didn't really seem to work out. They have a new head coach now in Paul Silas, James Harden, and kind of Russell Westbrook both kind of wanting out of Houston right now. And James Harden has been talking and says, hey, get me to Brooklyn to go play with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Let's let's ask this question here first. Would a super team of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving work realistically? In my opinion, I don't see how this really maximizes these three players. I think... Kevin Durant is great playing off the ball if he needs to. He's also great with the ball in his hands. Kevin Durant, I believe, is a top three to five player in this league. You got like LeBron James, Giannis Adenokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, and then you can pick your fifth. Those are, are my top four. You can argue the order of them. I just think LeBron James is one. You can decide who's two between Giannis, Kawhi, and Kevin Durant. But the reason Kevin Durant is so good is, he can play with the ball in his hands. He can play with the ball out of his hands. We saw that in Golden State. The difference, though, between with him and James Harden on the same team is now you have Kyrie Irving in the mix as well. And Kyrie Irving can play off the ball, but he doesn't want to play off the ball. That's why he forced his way out of Cleveland. He didn't want to be kind of second fiddle to LeBron James in terms of he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to do all the magic. You can see him work the ball on a string when he has it. Kevin Durant is great with the ball out of his hands, and he could let Kyrie Irving do a lot of it. He could take some of that load when Kyrie Irving doesn't want it. But if you throw James Harden in that mix, James Harden has been the number one ISO player in the NBA the past probably, like, what, four to five seasons now. That is the exact opposite of what Kyrie Irving would want on this team, and I don't think it maximizes him well at all. I mean, we've seen with James Harden under Mike D'Antoni, the, the deal is... James Harden dribbles at the top of the key for about 10 to 12 seconds, decides whether or not he's going to drive to the hoop for a foul or for a layup. If he drives, he can kick it out to any one of his four three-point shooters on the wing, or he can just decide to launch a three-pointer from almost half court some of these times. 
that's what James Harden has been great at. He's been averaging, he averaged, what, almost 35 points a game this season. He's been averaging 30 points a game for the past, like, four seasons. Won an MVP doing that as well. I don't see how this super team of James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving works that well. You've got Kevin Durant, who's a good defender, but he's coming off of severe Achilles injury. You don't know how great of a defender he is anymore. Kyrie Irving and James Harden, not great defenders. Harden, a little bit of an underrated defender, but still this defense could be poor as well. And if the offense is clunky with these three, I just don't see how that is the place that James Harden wants to go. Now, if the Brooklyn Nets traded Kyrie Irving for James Harden, and then, of course, worked out the rest of the details for that, I think James Harden and Kevin Durant is a better duo than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But I don't think that's going to happen. The Brooklyn Nets just signed Kyrie Irving a year ago, so they're not going to be trading Kyrie Irving to make this work. And then in that case, I don't think the Brooklyn Nets have the pieces to send back to Houston to get James Harden on this team. You don't just send all the first-round picks that you can to Houston for James Harden. For a James Harden-type caliber player, you have to send back a player that is ascending to all-star level or just made an all-star team or an all-star. You have to do all-star for all-star plus more for James Harden, an MVP player, a 30-points-per-game player, one of the best, one of the top 10 players in the NBA. So if they're not going to send Kyrie Irving, I don't see how James Harden gets to Brooklyn in this case and it doesn't look like Houston is willing to just send him there for nothing which is smart it's good to see that they still without their new they have a new GM without Daryl Morey as their GM they're still making uh, smart decisions with James Harden not just letting him go there which is good the other rumor that I've been hearing on James Harden has been him going to the Philadelphia 76ers where his former GM Daryl Morey is right now Doc Rivers is the new head coach would James Harden for a Ben Simmons plus more from the 76ers, would that be a deal that could work? I could see that working fantastically, and I think that the Houston Rockets would be willing to make a deal like that. You get Ben Simmons. He's young. I think he's still under 25 years old, just made his first all-star team, one of the best perimeter defenders in this league. He can guard one through four, and then you get James Harden. You pair him with Joel Embiid. That puts the 76ers in the top of the Eastern Conference with the, in the conversation with the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Miami Heat, who just made the finals, can't forget about them, and, of course, the Boston Celtics still. Now, with James Harden and Joel Embiid, and the reason I think that works is Joel Embiid can be in the post more often. He can be that center-type guy. He can still step out and hit some of those threes, but James Harden can obviously knock down the three-pointer. He's one of the best in the NBA at doing it. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they're both kind of getting in each other's way when one comes into the paint and the other is is already there. Ben Simmons can't shoot the three. He can't shoot at all, really. But he's still a great player. He's still 23 or 24. He's trying to develop a jump shot, we think. We're not sure how hard he's working at it, but we think he's still developing a jump shot. But he's one of the best players in transition, one of the best defenders in the NBA, and like I said, still young at 23 or 24. So this is a deal that I think could happen where we could see James Harden paired up with Joel Embiid. Do I think it's going to happen? I'm not as confident in it. I don't know. I mean, the Rockets, their new head coach, Paul Silas, has said that he wants both Russell Westbrook and James Harden on the team next year. We'll see. Both have kind of said that they kind of want out. The possibility of losing Russell Westbrook to a trade, like I just mentioned, 
Harden and Westbrook have, have kind of talked it out. They're, they're still good friends, but they don't think they play well together. So maybe maybe they both should just move on at this point out of Houston. Where's a good place for Westbrook to fit and, and, and move on to? Rumors have extended from him going to Los Angeles Clippers. Kind of a put Russell Westbrook in maybe for Paul George or if they wanted to do Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if that would work. But let's assume maybe a Paul George for Russell Westbrook swap. I've heard maybe sending him to the Knicks where he can be the star guy again like he was in Oklahoma City where he can average 35 points, where he can average a triple-double basically. But that's kind of the the rumor mill that's been spreading throughout the Houston Rockets is James Harden wants out of Houston and he wants to go to Brooklyn. That doesn't seem likely to happen. The Houston, just because he wants to go to Brooklyn doesn't mean that the Houston Rockets have to send him there. And I don't think they should send him there unless they get like Kyrie Irving back. And usually when, and the reason why this is a player's league for the NBA is these guys like James Harden or Anthony Davis the year prior or, or other guys, you've seen many instances say, Hey, I want out of this situation. I want to go play for this team. I want to go. I just don't want to play here anymore. We see it happen a lot when, when players get disgruntled in their situation, teams usually oblige and they're like, all right, We'll trade you, maybe work with us so we can get some pieces back, and we don't just lose you for nothing. This is kind of why it's a player's league. But in this situation, James Harden still has two years on his deal with the Rockets, and they're not just going to give him away for nothing. He has to be able to work with them in that case. But that's kind of what's been spreading around for Houston, and that's something that they're going to get to deal with with a new head coach and a new GM going into this 2021 NBA season. That's why I... I mentioned for when the Suns, if, if they could make the Western Conference playoffs, this could be a team that drops out if they don't have James Harden or if they don't have Russell Westbrook or possibly both to start next season. So we'll see how that all works out for the Houston Rockets come next year. All right. Another trade that went down, Golden State Warriors traded for Kelly Oubre Jr. from the Thunder. I mentioned him above in the Chris Paul trade. Kelly Oubre went from the Suns to the Thunder immediately to the Golden State Warriors. But the reason why I bring this deal up, Kelly Oubre, he averaged about 18 points per game last season for the Suns, a really good young player. He's only 24. But the reason the Warriors made this deal is because Klay Thompson, two-time NBA champion, like five-time All-Star, just a three-point master shooter, he tore his right Achilles and will miss the entire 2021 NBA season. And this is coming off of the 2020 season where he missed the rest of the year with a torn, or he missed the entire year with a torn left Achilles. If you remember, oh my goodness, I'm trying to remember my years now. I think it was the 2019 NBA Finals. It was the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors when they had Kawhi Leonard. Kevin Durant got injured with an Achilles injury, and then Klay Thompson got injured with an Achilles injury as well in Game 6. Both missed the entire 2020 NBA season. And now it looks like Klay Thompson is going to miss the 2021 NBA season as well. And that's just horrible. Klay Thompson is one of my favorite players to watch. Just the way he, I mean, the way he catches and shoots three, it's, it's so quick. You don't even have a chance. Once he catches it, it doesn't matter if you're right in his face. His release is so quick. He's a guy that he can score 20 points per game. He can actually score 60 points per game and only dribble the ball 11 times. They actually love showing that clip on ESPN all the time. That's one of their favorites. He scored 60 points in a game. The ball hit the the ground 11 times when it was in his hand. Otherwise, it was just catch and shoot all the other times. He's just one of, he's one of my favorite players to watch for sure in that regard. 
But so the Golden State Warriors trade for Kelly Oubre to kind of fill that void. Kelly Oubre is not going to be able to fill the void of Klay Thompson, but they're trying to still be competitive in that Western Conference. So now they're starting five. This year is going to kind of, it's going to look different, of course. It's going to be Steph Curry at the one. It'll be Kelly Oubre then at the two. It'll be Andrew Wiggins, who they still have, remember, at the three. It'll be Draymond Green at the four. And then it'll be James Wiseman, the second overall pick in this year's draft, drafted out of Memphis. He's a 7-1 center, left-handed. He's going to be playing their center this year. So the question becomes, are the Warriors still a contender in this tough Western Conference? In, or is their dynasty, remember they made, I believe, five straight finals appearances, won two of them, lost one to LeBron. So maybe they made four straight finals appearances, won two of them, lost one. Or no, 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 five straight, yeah. They beat LeBron. Then they lost to LeBron, got Kevin Durant, won two more, went back for a fifth time, and lost to Kawhi Leonard with all the injuries. I mean, Kawhi Leonard and the and the Raptors were a really good team that year. But anyways, is their dynasty now over of five straight finals appearances? That was just two years ago from their last finals appearance. This year, they had Steph Curry go down with injury, Klay Thompson go down with injury, Kevin Durant leave, and then Draymond Green played sporadically with an injury as well. Their four best players from a year ago actually and they traded away Andrew Iguodala their fifth best player so they were down their best their best starting five right there they got the second overall pick drafted James Wiseman and now the question is can they become a contender in the tough western conference again before the Clay Thompson injury my answer was obviously yes Steph Curry Clay Thompson and Draymond Green won an NBA championship they won 73 games together that is a contending team. They made two NBA finals with that trio right there. Without Klay Thompson now, we're going to have to see what Steph Curry is made of. Um, we're going to have to see if he can lead this team. I think he can lead this team to the playoffs. He's going to have to win 45 to 50 games. Draymond Green isn't the scorer, scorer that he used to be. He's still an all-around contributor on offense, still a great defender as well. He's got really young guys around him now. It's not Steph and Clay. It's Steph and Kelly Oubre, who averages 15 to 18 points. Andrew Wiggins, who is an on-and-off player from each night. You're not sure if he really wants it. He can average 20 points for you, though. But we'll have to see. I think they'll still be able to make the playoffs. I'm not sure they're really a true contender for an NBA championship. But I could be proved wrong. But this is this is a team that's going to be kind of mashed together before the season starts. Remember, the season starts on December 22nd, basically a month from now. So these guys, Steph, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, and James Wiseman, and Draymond Green, of course, they're all going to have to get together and start gelling before that season starts. We'll have to see. I think they'll be able to make the playoffs, but I think they'll be uh, two years removed from making the finals. I think that kind of considers their dynasty over. We'll have to see when Klay Thompson comes back, if they can get back to that form. All right, last trade that I want to mention then too. I mean, there's just deals going on left and right currently as I speak. If I look at my phone right now, Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams uh, Chamara, I believe his last name is. Boy, I hope I didn't say that wrong. But those are the two NBA insiders. And, and every time you look at your uh, social media, there's a new player being signed here or a new trade there. So it's actually really fun. But the last trade that I'm going to mention, the Los Angeles Lakers, defending NBA champion Lakers, acquired Dennis Schroeder from the Oklahoma City Thunder for Danny Green, who I mentioned was then traded to the Philadelphia 76ers, and the 28th overall pick 
in this year's draft. First thing, how many times did I mention the Thunder in this segment right here about trade? So Golden State Warriors traded Kelly Oubre from the Thunder. Dennis Schroeder from the Thunder goes to the Lakers. Who else we got? Oh, the Phoenix Suns get Chris Paul from the Thunder. Ricky Rubio gets sent to the Thunder and immediately sent to the Timberwolves. I tell you what, if you offer a draft pick of any kind to the Thunder, you're almost guaranteed to get a deal done with them and Sam Presti. They have an unlimited number of picks, draft picks, until the 2026 NBA draft. They have 16 picks in that time. Just multitude of first-round picks, first-round pick swaps. And I think I, I heard the quote today was for them, it's, it's not necessarily about getting the best picks, or it is about getting the best picks, but it's also about getting the most picks. They just want as many draft picks as they can, and they'll, uh, they'll find ways to, to make deals from their other deals that they have done. They, they took on Al Horford from the 76ers and traded Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson to them as long as the 76ers gave them a couple of draft picks because of Al Horford's huge contract. I mentioned Ricky Rubio. They traded him back to the Timberwolves for the 17th overall pick in this year's draft. Just amazing how many draft picks the Thunder have been able to acquire. Back to the original deal that got me on that little tangent there with the Thunder and all the, the, deal, all the draft picks they've acquired. The Lakers acquired Dennis Schroeder from them. Schroeder, he finished second in the sixth man of the year award. He averaged 19 points per game last season and 47% shooting coming off the bench. He came off behind Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chris Paul for the Thunder last year. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is kind of the future cornerstone that the Thunder are hoping will become their, their next great point guard. But anyways, the Lakers acquired Dennis Schroeder. The question is... What kind of moves do the Lakers need to make or how many more changes do they need to have to stay as the favorites to repeat as NBA champions? So it's already been reported Dwight Howard is going to be leaving the Los Angeles Lakers. He's going to sign with the Philadelphia 76ers. They trade away Danny Green. A couple of guys they're hoping to re-sign Avery Bradley, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. Those are Avery Bradley with a big help in the regular season, didn't come to the NBA bubble. Contavious Caldwell-Pope really brought it on in the NBA Finals when his number was called. They're also hoping to re-sign Rajon Rondo. That is kind of looking unlikely. He could go to the Clippers. He could go to the Atlanta Hawks. The Lakers, as long as they have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they can make a lot of things work. Anthony Davis right now, he is an unrestricted free agent. He's going to re-sign with the Lakers most likely. Everyone is 99% positive that he will. He's just trying to decide and trying to work through how long of a contract he should sign, whether it should be two years plus a one-year player option. Should he sign the full-year five-year deal or the four, the full four-year deal that he can be offered? Should he do the same contract length that LeBron James is at right now? Maybe if LeBron decides to retire after that contract, maybe Anthony Davis wants to move on after that. Who knows? But the Lakers, if they have LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, and then good quality players around them. Dennis Schroeder is a great quality player around them, a 20-point-per-game scorer right there. I think this team will be still in good position. Dwight Howard, I think, is actually kind of a big loss for them. I think he was the toughness in the middle of their defense. Anthony Davis doesn't like to play the center position. Dwight Howard is a center, and he'll block all the shots. He'll grab all the rebounds. That's what his role was with the Los Angeles Lakers. I think they're going to miss him a little bit. And then if they lose Rajon Rondo as well, this was their third best player in the playoffs. There's a thing called playoff Rondo. It's a very real thing. 
He can score 15 points per game. His defense improves with his. He's got one of the highest IQs in the NBA. So if they lose those two guys, those are two big players that the Lakers are going to have to try and fill those voids. So we'll see if they're able to do that and what they're able to do with the players available in in this kind of interesting and, and unique offseason because after today or in in one month the NBA season starts so they're going to have to get these guys and they're going to have to gel as quickly as they can with whichever guys are, are returning and whichever ones they're going to have to replace but that's a pretty big uh, trade that they made right there for Dennis Schroeder this guy can come in and, and score 15 to 20 points per game for this team provide another playmaker when LeBron James isn't on the floor so this is a good deal the Los Angeles Lakers made right here for Danny Green, who's starting to age, one of those 3 and D guys, and the 28th overall pick in this year's draft. All right, last thing on the NBA, let's kind of recap the draft. The top three picks were pretty straightforward this year with Anthony Edwards out of Georgia going number one overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. He's going to go alongside D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. That's going to be their new big three. They're in the tough Western Conference. We'll see if that young core can kind of grow together and get themselves back into the playoffs. James Wiseman, I mentioned him earlier, the big center out of Memphis. He only played three games in college last year. Then he focused on the NBA draft. He went number two overall to the Warriors. I've heard a comparison of him to Chris Bosh. They're both left-handed. Chris Bosh came into the NBA. He couldn't shoot the three. When he got to Miami is when he became a much better three-point shooter. James Wiseman has the has some touch right now, but he's not a great three-point shooter. He's not someone that's going to be able to pick and pop with Steph Curry or anything, but that's something that he can develop, and I think this is a really great pick for the Golden State Warriors. I thought, I mean, all those years when it was Steph and Clay, what's what was the thing that they were missing? They were missing a key center or someone that could help anchor their defense. I mean, Draymond Green is only 6'7". He's a great defender, but when you got guys that are 7 foot. And, and, and bigger than that, you need someone that can match up with them. And I think James Wiseman is going to be able to do that. The other thing that the Golden State Warriors always struggled with was defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds in the rebounding department. And James Wiseman, I think, is going to be able to fill that void for them. I'm, I just wish we could see the Warriors team with, with Steph Clay, Draymond, and then James Wiseman as well. It's just unfortunate that Clay is going to be out for this entire year. And then last one, the, the third pick. LaMelo Ball, that's right, another Ball brother in the NBA, younger brother of Lonzo Ball. He went number three to the New Orleans Hornets. This is LaMelo Ball, played overseas in high school, didn't go to college. He actually played then in Australia as well. I've been told, I've been not told, but I've been reading and watching that they think LaMelo Ball is actually the best prospect in this year's draft. They just... The, the Timberwolves and the Warriors didn't think the fit was right. LaMelo goes to the Hornets, who can use any and all playmakers. LaMelo Ball is, they think, could be a better version of his brother Lonzo Ball. Both are still poor shooters, but six, seven point guards, these guys can pass, and, and the way that they can handle the ball is fantastic. Michael Jordan, actually, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, was a big fan of his coming into this process, and he lands with them there. LaMelo Ball goes there. Now the big joke and, and the big fun that all the media, and, is, and actually I'm kind of hoping this happens too, but LeVar Ball, when Lonzo Ball was at UCLA, if you remember all that hype and all that talk that LeVar, LeVar was on every sports show, he was on every sports radio show, 
He was spitting all these hot takes, all this, all this ridiculousness that was coming out of his mouth. One of the things that he was saying all the time was, oh, yes, I could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. <laughs> now, now his youngest son plays for Michael Jordan, and everybody, everybody wants it so badly for LeVar Ball to be at a LaMelo Ball practice. Michael Jordan to come down from his owner's suite with the media there. And then Michael Jordan goes, all right, let's do this. Let's go right now. You and me one-on-one. Everybody wants it so bad. I'm going to be honest with you. I want it so bad. I think that would be the funniest thing on TV all year. 2020 doesn't deserve it. But in 2021, we definitely deserve it. So 2021, give us Michael Jordan versus LeVar Ball. We want to see Michael Jordan wipe the floor with him. Just a, just a quick game to 15. Michael Jordan 15, LeVar Ball 0. That's how it would go. We all want to see that so bad. And it's just it's funny how it all comes full circle like that because Lonzo, of course, went to the Lakers, traded to the Pelicans, and that's when LeVar, LeVar basically was just touting like, oh, yeah, Lonzo's going to the Lakers. He's going number two overall. And then, of course, they asked him more questions. LeVar used to play in the NBA. And he said, yeah, I could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. And here it comes full circle. I absolutely love it. So we're, we're hoping for that and Michael Jordan to kind of just uh, give us all that we want there in a LeVar Ball versus MJ, but we'll see. All right, other notable picks that, that kind of stood out to me in this in this 2020 NBA draft, Obi Toppin, the forward from Dayton. He is a high flyer. This guy had some miraculous dunks, I believe had Dayton as a possible number one seed heading, heading into the March Madness tournament. He goes eighth overall to the New York Knicks. He's a New York guy. New York needs another big headline guy. I'm not sure if they needed another forward necessarily in Obi Toppin, but I think this guy, this was my favorite guy coming into the draft and just what from what I saw him do at Dayton in college. So Obi Toppin, eighth overall to the New York Knicks. Keep your eyes on that. That'll be a lot of fun to watch there in Madison Square Garden. Tyrese Halliburton, 12th overall to the Sacramento Kings. This was a lot of people considering the second best point guard possibly in this draft. They were surprised he slipped all the way out of the top 10. So the Sacramento Kings, this is a big point guard as well. This guy can go really well with De'Aaron Fox, who the Kings just signed to a Supermax extension. I think he got like a five-year, $163 million deal at minimum. It could go up more depending on how he performs. But Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox, the really shifty, speedy, point guard that they have there right now could be a nice one-two combo at their guard position. Tyrese Maxey, a player out of Kentucky, he goes 21st overall to the 76ers. Cassius Winston went 53rd overall to the Oklahoma City Thunder. This is Cassius Winston out of Michigan State. He's a four-year superstar at Michigan State. I thought this would have been a great pick. Whoever got him, I think he's just a winner. He finds a way to help your team win. He could be a backup point guard in the NBA. He doesn't have the athleticism. That's why he kind of fell. He's not the, uh, what's it? oh, the potential. Oh, my favorite word when it comes to these draft picks in the NBA is potential. He doesn't have as much potential as these guys drafted above him because he's reached his ceiling or something. Like, that's ridiculous. This guy is a proven winner. I, I hate that term for the NFL draft as well. I mean, that's why you saw Mitch Trubisky drafted ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, Bears fans. Didn't mean to slip that in there, but... Potential is usually not what I like to see people draft on. I get that sometimes when a guy has all this possible talent. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a prime example of potential 
kind of fleshing out and turning into a two-time MVP. But in my case, I usually like to take the proven guy, Cassius Winston, not with the number one overall pick, of course, for a guy, but like this, this guy could have been a back-end first-rounder, I thought, and here he fell all the way to the end of the second round. I think he's going to be a great possible backup point guard, could come in and be a, a contributing starter at some point. So I think Cassius Winston there. Cassius Stanley then goes 54th overall to the Pacers. This guy comes out of Duke. This guy was highly touted out of high school as well. I don't know why he fell so far. That's something that I should have uh, looked up before doing this. But this is a guy that I think it can really the, – the Indiana Pacers are a really interesting team in the Eastern Conference. They are looking to make moves today as well, possibly adding Gordon Hayward. So Cassius Stanley to the Pacers at 54 I think was a really good deal for them as well coming out of Duke. So those that's kind of our the NBA draft recap. The big news is for the draft, LaMelo Ball on the Charlotte Hornets. Who cares? We want to see LeVar Ball versus Michael Jordan in a pickup game where Michael Jordan would wipe the floor. That's it. That's kind of what you take away from the NBA draft right there. <laughs> All right. So let's move on now to the NFL. We're caught up right there. Remember last week, if, if anything you took away, was that the NFL has continued to churn along with their games, less likely to cancel or postpone games. I'm fairly certain if a starting quarterback was out for a week or something, they could postpone a game. Or if, say, Tom Brady was on the COVID reserve list and needed to be there for five days and, and they could push the game to Monday, they would. But either way, they've decided to keep churning along with these games. If you took that away from last week, We'll get caught up now to NFL Week 10, moving forward into Week 11. Let's get some notable Week 10 results. The big one here is the Rams beat the Seahawks 23-16. That caused a three-way tie atop the NFC West with three teams at 6-3 between the Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals. That was until the Seahawks just beat the Cardinals on Thursday Night Football here. We'll talk about that in a second. The Cardinals, Hail Mary, or as we're calling it now, the Hail Murray at the end of the game. I think there was... 12 seconds left or something where they beat the bills 32 to 30 kyler murray to deandre hopkins play of the year no question about it that was just fantastic that looked like uh aaron Rodgers against the arizona cardinals if you remember in that divisional or in that wild card playoff game where he had two hail marys to jeff janice the way that kyler murray rolled out to his uh left and was able to still complete that hail mary was incredible the Dolphins beat the Chargers 29-21 to get to 6-3. They're 3-0 with Tua Tugavailoa at quarterback. They're also in the playoffs in the AFC as well. They're the sixth seed. Bigger deal here. Tua Tugavailoa, the fifth overall pick in this year's draft versus Justin Herbert, the sixth overall pick in this past year's draft. Tua comes out on top of that matchup right there to get the Dolphins to 6-3, firmly in the wild card position right now. The Patriots top the Ravens on Sunday Night Football 23-17 for their second straight win. They improved to 4-5. But the bigger concern here is the Ravens dropped to 6-3. I believe that's two losses in a row now. And they're actually the seventh seed in the AFC. That's just on the cusp of the playoffs, remember, because they added a seventh team to the playoffs for both teams. Should this be a bigger concern for the Ravens going forward? They don't have an easy matchup in week 11 this week as they face the Tennessee Titans, the team that knocked them out of the playoffs last year, even when they were just rolling last year. So they face the Titans this year. The Titans are also 6-3. and three. They're just on the outside of the playoffs looking in. So, I mean, the winner of this game will be into the playoffs 
Is it a concern for the Ravens going forward? I mean, we've heard Lamar Jackson say this year that teams are starting to call out the plays that the offense is about to run. He's a little bit concerned with that. Are they becoming a little bit predictable? That's something that could be a major concern for the Baltimore Ravens. They have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Their offense is just not what it was last year. They're rushing. The the reason that the Ravens were so good last year is the threat of the rushing with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. Lamar Jackson was rushing for over 1,000 yards last year. Mark Ingram as well. Mark Ingram has kind of taken a back seat now to J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. They kind of have three running backs, which I guess is what a lot of teams are going with is this committee running back scheme. But it's not working with, with these three running backs. Their offensive line has had some injuries, especially to their left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, who's been out for the year. So this could be a major concern for for the Ravens going forward if they can't figure out this offense because the running game then set up wide open passing lanes for Lamar Jackson. He hasn't he's not a super accurate quarterback. We knew this from Lamar Jackson coming out of college. Now we're seeing it in the NFL when he doesn't have these wide open passing lanes because of the threat that he might run where teams are stacking the box and then he has one-on-one coverage. That's not happening anymore this season. It's kind of been a concern for the Ravens, and I think it could possibly be a concern going forward. Other Week 10 results, the Steelers remain undefeated, 9-0, and dominating Joe Burrow and the Bengals, 36-10. to The big news, though, Drew Brees of the Saints, they get the win against the 49ers, they go to 7-2, and but Drew Brees is placed on IR with cracked ribs and a collapsed lung. He's been dealing with bruised ribs, I believe, for a couple games this season. They got cracked in this week. 10 win against the 49ers kind of collapsed his lung a little bit he couldn't play the second half they actually just put him on IR so the Saints will be without Drew Brees for the next three weeks minimum they think that he'll be back after that can the Saints survive the next three weeks without Drew Brees they're actually a lot of people thought Jameis Winston who signed with them this offseason on a one-year deal if this was a situation that come up that would come up he would be the starter kind of like how Teddy Bridgewater filled in last year remember for five games. Then Teddy Bridgewater went off and signed with the Carolina Panthers for a big three-year, $63 million deal. They kind of thought that could happen for Jameis Winston as well, learn under Drew Brees, learn under Sean Payton. But instead, the Saints are actually going to be starting Taysom Hill in Week 11 this week against the Falcons. This is the guy that has played tight end. He's played wide receiver. He's played quarterback in the Wildcat. He He's their backup quarterback on this team. But they like to use him so much, they use him on special teams as well. He's just played his way onto the field. But now he's going to be their starting quarterback in Week 11. So this is going to be really interesting to see the kind of offense that the Saints run, what it means for Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and if the Saints can survive these three weeks without Drew Brees. We'll see. But that was the big news coming out of Week 10. Drew Brees out three weeks for the New Orleans Saints. They're the number two seed in the NFC right now. Speaking of the standing let's 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 take a look where we are after 10 weeks in the nfc we have green bay and new orleans at seven and two green bay is number one new orleans number two green bay owes that tiebreaker after a week three win seattle seahawks they're seven and three after beating the arizona cardinals just this past thursday night they got the win 28 21 i believe the philadelphia eagles are the fourth seed right now because they're a top The NFC East division, which is the worst division in football, I think we're starting to call it the NFC least, but they're fourth at 3-5-1 right now atop the East division. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're 7-3. 
They're in the fifth seed right now, Los Angeles Rams, six and three, and the Arizona Cardinals round out the top seven at six and four after that Thursday night football loss. In the hunt, two teams close to the playoffs in the NFC, Chicago Bears at five and five. If you remember, they started the season off five and one. They've lost four straight. On the opposite side, the Minnesota Vikings are the ninth seed. They're four and five. They started off the season one and five and won four straight. So the, the Minnesota Vikings trending upwards right now and the Bears going absolutely backwards. I've already railed on the Bears enough mentioning that they drafted Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. I won't rub any more salt on the wound for now, for now. <laughs> In the AFC then, Pittsburgh Steelers at 9-0, and Kansas City Chiefs 8-1. and Those are the two best teams in the NFL, I think, right now. I mean, Kansas City, they have the one loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll talk about that in a second. So they're 1-2. and two. Buffalo Bills at 7-3 and three atop the AFC East. They have the three seed. Indianapolis Colts, big win last Thursday night game against the Tennessee Titans. Puts them at the four seed. Las Vegas Raiders, they're at 6-3. and three. They have a playoff spot right now. I mentioned the Miami Dolphins at 6-3. and three. They have the six seed. And then the Baltimore Ravens. Hanging on to that seven seed right now at six and three, two teams in the hunt for the AFC. Cleveland Browns, that's right. Cleveland at six and three with the eighth seed. And then the Tennessee Titans at six and three as well. So there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the AFC at six and three. So it is extremely tight for those teams trying to make the playoffs right there. Some surprises. The the Miami Dolphins have to be the biggest surprise for me, no question. I mean, they switched quarterbacks at their bye week from Ryan Fitzpatrick. When they were 3-3, three and three, they were a 500 team. Everybody's like, how can you do this? You can still make the playoffs right now. Turns out they might have a better chance with Tua Tagovailoa making the playoffs. They're 3-0 and with Tagovailoa right now. Some disappointments, of course, has got to be the Baltimore Ravens. I'll, I'll actually say this as well. I think for my preseason rankings, I had the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know where that uh, notepad went. But I had the Pittsburgh Steelers making the playoffs as a wild card team, but I didn't have them winning their division because I thought of the Baltimore Ravens winning that division. But Pittsburgh, 9-0, and I did not expect at this point. I knew they had one of the top three defenses in the NFL, and I knew that getting Big Ben back would put them in the playoffs. I did not think it would have them at 9-0 and at this point. But my expectations for the final half of this season, here's what I think. I think we'll start in the NFC. I think you'll still have... Here's the teams that I'm almost certain are going to make the playoffs. Packers, Saints, Seahawks, Buccaneers, and Rams. I think those five teams are are not locks, but those are teams that I have, have confidence in that they'll make the playoffs. The Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, it's just who's going to be the best of the worst coming out of that NFC East division. The, the Eagles just lost to the New York Giants this past week, so the Giants are 3-7. and seven. That Philadelphia Eagles tie against the Cincinnati Bengals in like week three or something is proving to be a much smarter play than a lot of us have, uh, or a lot of us criticized it to be. I mean, we thought that why would you not go for the win? Remember, I said I hate ties so much because I do, but it's proving to be effective for the Philadelphia Eagles at this point. But I have no idea. It's just going to be the the best of the worst coming out of the NFC East. That'll get that four spot. And then the Arizona Cardinals, I, I really think that they have a good chance of making the playoffs. They are in the best division in football, though, in the NFC West. So their schedule is not easy. Like I just said, they just lost to the Seattle Seahawks. They still got to play the Rams. 
the 49ers, even without Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle, doesn't matter who they have at running back. They're still a good team. And the Minnesota Vikings are hot right now, winning four in a row. They beat the Packers. They've beaten the Bears on that 4-0 stretch right there as well. So it's going to be it's going to be between the Cardinals and the Vikings, I think, for that last wild card spot. And then whoever comes out of the NFC East for the NFC, for the AFC, my expectation, Steelers, Chiefs, Bills, I think those three will win their divisions and they'll be in the playoffs there. That four seed, that NF or I'm sorry, that AFC South, the Colts and the Titans. Before the season started, I thought the Colts were the better team, but the Tennessee Titans proved that, or Ryan Tannehill, more importantly, proved to me that he is every bit worth that that contract that the Titans gave him. I I thought that they overpaid, and I thought, you're really going to pay him that much money for a 13-game audition? Well, turns out he's, he's still a good quarterback. It's just, I guess, the change from Miami to Tennessee really helped him, so I, I really missed the mark on, on, on Ryan Tannehill there. And, of course, Derrick Henry, still a top-five running back in the NFL, the way that he's able to. He's going to lead the league in rushing again, most likely. So that AFC South is going to be really fun. But then between the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Ravens, and the Browns, I think the Ravens will be able to get it together, and they'll make the playoffs. The Raiders have been really surprising. If you remember, they gave the Chiefs their only loss this season. So then it, does it really come down to between, I think it'll come down between the Dolphins, Browns, and then either the Titans or Colts, whichever team doesn't win that division. My prediction from, from right now would be Steelers, Chiefs, Bills, and then give me both the Titans and Colts in the playoffs. So what, that's five right there. Give me the Ravens in the playoffs as well. I think the other team I had before the season started was the either the Broncos or the Patriots. The Patriots are on a two-game winning streak. They're four and five, but I wonder if it's a little too little too late for them possibly. But between the Dolphins, Browns, and Raiders, and then I'll, I'll actually throw the Patriots in there right now. I have a lot of confidence that John Gruden and the Raiders are going to be able to get into the playoffs this year the way that they've been playing. They don't turn the ball over on offense. They don't give up a ton of big plays on defense in Derek Carr. And Josh Jacobs have been able to put up a decent amount of points that I think the Raiders over the Dolphins and the Browns to get into the playoffs. And here, here we'll move on to Week 11 really quick. Some notable matchups, big ones here for Week 11. I mentioned the Titans at the Ravens. This is a rematch of the 2019 divisional game in the playoffs where the Titans were able to shut down Lamar Jackson. Derrick Henry ran wild. I think he had over 150 yards. This, I mean, the whole playoffs, Derrick Henry run wild, ran wild. But this will be a really big game, really big test. Both teams at 6-3 and three looking to get into the playoffs or into that playoff picture uh, for that seventh seed. So Titans at Ravens, that'll be a really good one. Packers at Colts. This is two division leaders. This is the number one overall defense, I believe, in Indianapolis versus the number one or number two overall offense for the Green Bay Packers. So Aaron Rodgers... Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones have their work cut out for them there. And we'll see what the Packers' defense can do if they can slow down Naeem Hines, who's had a couple of big weeks at the running back position for the Colts. I mean, teams have been able to run pretty well on the on the Packers recently, so we'll see. This will be a really good matchup between the NFC North division leader and the AFC South division leader. Chiefs at Raiders. This is the Sunday night game. The Chiefs only lost this year was to the Raiders. The Raiders have just been gloating about it this upcoming week as well. They, they talked about how they did a victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium, and I just, oh boy, I don't know why they are gloating about this because the Chiefs 
are coming off a bye week. The Chiefs are 18 and three, or eight, or Andy Reid is 18 and three coming off of a bye week. So man, I just <laughs> and the Raiders just giving all the juice they can to the Chiefs by by bragging about it and gloating about it. I just think Chiefs are going to hang 50 points on the Raiders this week, and Patrick Mahomes is going to take this one uh, seriously here, for sure. And then and then we got the Rams at the Buccaneers, two wild card teams in the NFC. This is a Monday night matchup. Two really good defenses between the Bucks and the Rams. And then, of course, Tom Brady versus Jared Goff. That should be a really good primetime game. My game for the NFL this week that I'll be cutting the highlight, Eagles at Browns. The Eagles have five straight games against an opponent that's above 500. And I mentioned before they just lost a div- to their division rivals, the Giants. And so they've got the Browns, they've got the Packers, they've got the Saints, and they've got two, and they've got one more team two more teams that are above 500 currently on their schedule. So they are going to be searching for wins against really good teams. And they've been proving right now that they aren't even able to win games against bad teams. So we'll see how that goes in the Browns, of course, in the eighth seed for the AFC in that there's, what did I say? Six teams at six and three right now. So this is a big game for the Browns as well. They can't afford to let some of these easier games slip for them. So that's our, our, our catch up there for the NFL. We got some great games for week 11 as well. Can't wait to see how some of those turn out and see where we are heading into next week and into week 12. All right, so let's move on to college football. Let's get a couple of updates here. Let's start with last week. I mean, Wisconsin football. I mentioned this on my uh, podcast last episode, if you remember, returning for their first time since their COVID outbreak after winning in dominant fashion week one. They kind of seems like they picked up right where they left off. They dominated Michigan. Boy, Michigan has really been struggling this year, especially. I think they've won maybe one game, but Wisconsin absolutely dominates them. They won this one 49-11. I think Graham Mertz had another two touchdowns. Not the week one performance that he had where it was 20 of 21 and five touchdowns, but I mean, Graham Mertz, if he's the way, the reason that Wisconsin is so good this year is because of Graham Mertz in the way that he's putting stress on defenses. I mean, we're, we don't have a Jonathan Taylor anymore that's going to get 30 carries and still 150 yards. I mean, our leading rusher this week was Jalen Berger, who had 87 yards and a touchdown, but the Badgers still had over 300 yards rushing. They had four guys with over 65 yards rushing. I mean, Danny Davis, the wide receiver, had seven carries for 65 yards. The jet sweep, it's the Paul Chris classic, and I absolutely love it every time he calls it because it works for a minimum of eight yards. <laughs> but still, I mean, what, what Graham Mertz does is he puts pressure on the defenses to drop back, which allows the Badgers, which are a running football team, to do what they do best and run the football behind this big offensive line. But usually teams are stacking the box against the Wisconsin football team in this year, since they don't have a Jonathan Taylor to beat those stat boxes and break those tackles, Graham Mertz is able to loosen that up. They can't stack the box anymore because otherwise Graham Mertz will beat you for five touchdowns, which we've seen this year already. So, I mean, they dominate Michigan right there. They moved to 2-0, puts them up to number 10 in the rankings as well. Another big one, Indiana. They start 4-0 by shutting out Michigan State 24-0. They shut out Michigan State. Michigan State used to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Now here we got Indiana starting 4-0. They've got a big test this week against Ohio State. We'll get into that one in just a second. 
Notre Dame. They roll to 8-0. They're the number two team in college football right now. They beat Clemson when they didn't have Trevor Lawrence, which was the number two team at the time. So Notre Dame, they're trying to get into their first college football playoffs. They've been on the cusp many times. They haven't had the reason Notre Dame hasn't made the college football playoffs yet possibly is because they don't have a championship game like the Big Ten championship game, the ACC championship game, the SEC championship game. Notre Dame is a part of the ACC conference just for this year, I believe, because of the unique situation with coronavirus. So they could be in the ACC championship game where they might see Clemson once again. So we'll see. They're looking to get into the college football playoffs for the first time. Good start so far, <laughs> starting 8-0. Number six, Florida. They put up 63 points on Arkansas, and they might have the Heisman front runner right now in quarterback Kyle Trask. He had six touchdowns in this game. Florida looks really good. They have one loss on the year so far, and they possibly have the Heisman front runner in quarterback Kyle Trask. Here's another big thing, though, to keep in mind from last week. Three teams ranked in the top five, Alabama, Ohio State, and Texas A&M, all had their games postponed due to the coronavirus. Like I said, the SEC and the Big 12, they're able to, or I'm sorry, both Alabama and Texas A&M are from the SEC, but they're equipped to handle these postponements because they started early. Maybe they can make up some of these games in some of these bye weeks. Ohio State and the Big Ten are not equipped to handle some of these postponements. We saw it with the Badgers already having their outbreak. I think, is it Maryland right now that's having another outbreak in the Big Ten, and that's why Ohio State's game got canceled? Could that be problematic for Ohio State getting into the playoffs? We'll see. But the SEC in Alabama, number one ranked team, Texas A&M, the number five ranked team, a little bit better equipped to kind of face these postponements here. And now if we get to the matchups this week, big one right off the top, Wisconsin at number 19, Northwestern, top 20 face-off here. They're both undefeated. I believe Northwestern's 4-0, Wisconsin 2-0, of course. Wisconsin, though, is 1-5 in its last six games at Northwestern. They struggle when going to face Northwestern on their home field. Can Graham Mertz change that this year? They don't have, like I said, that number one running back like a Jonathan Taylor, a Melvin Gordon, a James White, and, and, and Corey Clement, those kind of guys. They don't have that guy this year. I think Graham Mertz is going to be a difference maker. And clearly, a Jonathan Taylor, a Melvin Gordon, hasn't been working against Northwestern in Northwestern. So we'll see what Graham Mertz can do. I think this is going to be a big Graham Mertz game. I think he's going to throw for three or four touchdowns in this one. I'm excited for Wisconsin to face. This is a this is a game where Wisconsin, if they can move to 3-0, They'll have a big top 20 win. They'll start to get in that discussion of can they make the playoffs even with less games this year. I think Wisconsin can go 6-0 and up until their Big Ten championship game, which they would most likely, looking at this point, face Ohio State. The question is if, if they go undefeated even with less games than the SEC or these other teams, can they get into the playoffs? And that discussion is going to start if they beat Northwestern this week. Another one, here's a top 10 matchup. Here's a really good one. Indiana, number nine versus Ohio State. This is going to tell us if Indiana's for real. I mean, Indiana has has shocked some of these. I mean, they've beaten Penn State, but Penn State hasn't beaten anyone this year. They shut out Michigan State. Michigan State's been on the downtrend for a couple of years. This is going to test if, if Indiana is a for real team, and if they are worthy of a top 15 or a top 10 right now ranking. I don't expect them to win this game against Ohio State. 
for me, the more important thing is, is can they compete in this game? Can they keep it kind of close? If they get blown out by 17 to 20 points, not really. They didn't keep it close. If they can keep it within 10 points in this game, between 10, between 7 and 10 points, I think, yeah, they, they kept it pretty competitive. They kept Ohio State on their toes. Then I think Indiana is for real, and, and we'll see because Wisconsin actually has to face Indiana later in the season, a game that Wisconsin usually has checked off as a win every year. They're not going to be able to do that this year, and we'll see Indiana against Ohio State, the best team right now in the Big Ten. Another big one, Oklahoma State, number 14 versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma, not the same top five team they've been in the past seasons with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, their Heisman quarterbacks. They're, they're not the same team anymore with those with those two now long gone, of course. They've got Spencer Rattler, and, and the, the question is, is uh, the head coach, Lincoln Riley, I mean, he's still one of the better coaches, but him and Spencer Rattler, not the same as, as Lincoln Riley with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. But they're, 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 those are our big matchups for this week in college football. I'm very excited for those two Big Ten matchups as well. I love Big Ten football. All right, let's get to my final thought then on today's episode of the Final Final Podcast. I mentioned it last week how college basketball was right around the corner. College basketball starts next week. And uh, hmm, let me see. I'm looking at this. What is the only school to have both their football and basketball team ranked in the top 10? Hmm, if I were to look down. Oh, that's right. It's Wisconsin. You better believe it. Football ranked number 10. Basketball ranked number 7. The Badgers get all their starters back from last year. I'm talking basketball right now. (laughs) They get all their starters back from last year. Micah Potter, who came on is one of the better players, is probably the best player on this team. He's the big center. They get Nate Reavers, the stretch four. They get Demetric Trice as well. I am very excited to watch this Badger basketball team. I mentioned it on last week's podcast. ESPN's simulated NCAA tournament champions. They're trying to take away the simulated part and just become NCAA champions this year. Let's take a look. If we take a look at the preseason rankings right now, we got Gonzaga at one, Baylor at two, Villanova at three, Virginia at four, Iowa at five. That's a pretty good top five right there. I mean, then you got Kansas, six, Badgers, Illinois, Duke, and Kentucky round out your top 10. So there's three teams right there in the Big Ten in the top 10. And I believe the Badgers have seven teams in the top 25. You got Michigan State at 13. You got Ohio State at 23, Rutgers at 24, and then Michigan at 25, along with, of course, Illinois and Iowa in the top 10. So the Big Ten might be the best conference in college basketball this year. So Wisconsin will be tested periodically throughout the season, and I absolutely can't wait and am stoked for the college basketball season to start next week. And so that's something that we'll be talking about in upcoming podcast episodes as well. All right, and then my final, final thought today on this episode, Dustin Johnson wins his first Masters championship this week. I didn't think I would be talking about the Masters unless Tiger Woods won, but turns out Dustin Johnson is actually a pretty big deal too. He actually set the record of 20 under, which beat the which beat the previous record held by Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth by two strokes. He was 20 under, won by five strokes to take home his second major championship, his first majors. If you remember last year when Tiger Woods won, Dustin Johnson was tied for second and chasing Tiger Woods, trying to overcome him there. Tiger Woods was too much, but 
this year, Dustin Johnson hops up to that first overall spot, wins it with a record with a record round as well. So that's just great for him. Kind of Dustin Johnson now. He he had that fifty four hole lead. He's kind of had that uh, stigma or that kind of um, what's the word I'm thinking? Reputation. That's the word of being kind of a choker when it comes to having a fifty four hole lead. He had. And he had five major championships where he was the leader after 54 holes. You play 72 holes, of course. He was the leader after 54 holes, and he only won one of them, and that was back in 2016. He had some where he lost it on the final hole where he had, he there was, I think he had three putts within 20 feet, and that's how he lost a major championship. He's starting to turn that around now as, as he's won this Masters championship. He's the number one ranked golfer in the world right now he's won a lot this year congratulations to dustin johnson on winning the masters championship played in november i'm not sure is this the first time it's played in november i would assume so so maybe he'll be the only masters championship winner in november so maybe that's when he likes to play the masters i don't know tiger woods on the other hand finished tied for 38th he had a 10 on a par three that's kind of something that i would shoot every once in a while i'm, I'm not that bad of a golfer i'm actually decent but a 10 on a par 3, and he still finished tied for 38. If he shoots a normal par there, he finishes in the top 20 or so, but who who knows then. But I, I'm going to stand by what I was saying on last week's episode. I stand by always betting at Tiger Woods at the Masters going forward, no matter how old he gets, no matter how bad he's playing leading up to it. He'll be in contention at the Masters. He can play every Masters championship as long as he wants. I mean, once you win a Masters you are automatically grandfathered into the next tournament if you want. So I, I would have Tiger Woods as a, as a bet going forward at the Masters no matter what. He was near the top of the leaderboard after the first two rounds, I believe. Seems like a pretty good bet to me, and I, and I stand by it. I'm glad that uh, it's always fun to see Tiger Woods at the top of the leaderboard as well, so that's always good. But congratulations go out to Dustin Johnson for winning his first Masters championship. All right. That is all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Another long one, but I think we got to dive into more stuff and and in more detail instead of overarching, which I really like. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody stay safe out there as uh, coronavirus cases continue to rise all across the country. Make sure you stay safe. Wear your mask. Um, Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to tune in to my next episode as well where we'll recap all the big deals. I mean, we recap most of the big deals trades for the NBA, but we'll talk about some of the bigger free agency signings, whether Giannis signed his Supermax, and we'll start to look ahead more into the games and the setup of the 2021 NBA season. We'll continue with the NFL and college football talk as well, so make sure you don't miss next week's episode as well. All right, stay safe, everybody. Thanks for listening, and that is the final final.